This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Andrew Glutkov with you starting off here on this summer edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Drew is back from getting some supplies for Lily. We're recording this on Wednesday, July the 7th. I already took care of all my shopping for the day, so we are we are all set. We got the hockey on TV. It's kind of a really chill show. We don't have that much news to go over, but we do have some news to talk about. Um, and then we're going to take your listener questions that you were sending that, that you were sending to me earlier on Twitter. Drew, what's going on? Uh, well, Lily demanded milk, and we knew milk was running as, out. As children and, do. And uh, it was forgotten about uh, by a certain person not named Andrew, but lives in this house. So You're Andrew really throwing go, your wife under the bus on Oh, totally. Podcast. You're really doing that. Oh, boy. I, I didn't throw her. I didn't mention her by name. No, <laughs> no. Uh, you know, Terry works at a pharmacy. She, she I, As you mentioned her name. Yeah, totally throwing her <laughs> And uh, I had to, well, look at this one. I had to go gas up the car anyway. So, you know, let, let's, All right. make, All let's right. make a Kill silver. Kill two birds with one stone. Exactly. Right? All right. That's that's fine. All right. We're going to talk about uh, among, before we get to, uh, Eric is hopefully going to join us a little bit later. He's taking care of some softball stuff. But we're going to uh, start by talking about basketball. Three big names coming back into the fold for UCF. Darius Perry is back. Isaiah Adams is back and announcing today CJ Walker is back. All three of them had left uh, to gone into the NBA drafts uh, evaluation process. Darius actually walked on senior night uh, and uh, we weren't sure about CJ. We weren't sure about Isaiah. We kind of thought that they would probably come back. Darren Green, Taco Fall did this earlier, but it's now official. UCF is going to have a full complement of those guys back in the fold um for next year so we're going to talk about that before we get to the listener questions so drew i want to start with you this is it's a huge you know win for uh for basketball here with these three guys coming back um your initial impressions are are you were any of these surprises to you not at all uh i expected them all to come back the the actually the only person that i expected to leave and not come back was brandon mayhan but yeah, and he went into the transfer portal and announced he's coming back. Right, uh, he was the one that I was expecting to leave and not come back. But hey, the the gang's all here. You know, they they brought the band back together. Yep. Uh, you know, there's 106 miles to Chicago and they have a full tank of gas. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm excited because look, this was a, a young team. You know, uh, Isaiah Adams was a true freshman. Uh, C.J. Walker was a sophomore, but he had limited play at, at Oregon. And they they needed seasoning. This this team just needed to grow a bit and, and got derailed by COVID multiple times. And then Tony Johnson got hurt yeah. earlier in the year, and that COVID was it. totally collapsed the off season program Absolutely. prior to last season. I think that is such an underrated issue in sports this year was the off season conditioning last summer. There basically was none. There there wasn't, and, and you had young players like Adams and uh, Jamil Reynolds. Uh, freshmen who who needed Isaac, uh, Isaac Ward they needed that time that practice that that you know just that chance to kind of start you know getting their feet wet before the season was upon them 
And, and you saw flashes early, you know, the beat Florida State was a big win. And, and then it just kind of derailed with, with a combination of injuries and COVID. And, and yeah, other teams suffered the same issues, but every team has a different story. They all, you know, we all have a story. But with everyone coming back together, well, let me phrase that. Everyone who's important coming back together, uh, this is going to be a good team. It's going to be a really good team. And and UCF was able to shed away some players that weren't going to contribute all that much and and bring in, you know, please don't make me try to pronounce his name, but the, the transfer from UNLV uh, gives them the big man that they've so desperately needed since Taco Fall left. Yeah. Um, the, I really wanted to bring up Darius Perry in particular because, you know, I had said at the end of last year, I didn't think he was coming back because I thought he had just played, he was just one and done. He was going to move into the pros after that. Cause he was, a, he was a super senior, even though he had an additional year of eligibility left, he decides to come back after withdrawing his name from the draft, um, and what I thought, and I brought this up in the in the piece that we wrote up, sort of summarizing what happened. I mean, he walked on senior day, and I broke it down. The first thirteen games, he only started. Um, uh, he, I believe, he only started three of those first thirteen games. He had some injury problems here and there. The last ten games, he started all of them, and the difference both offensively and defensively, I think for the team was night and day. Now he wasn't the only factor involved in that, but in those first 13 games, UCF went four and nine. All right. They were given up 73 points a game. Uh, the opponents were shooting 45%. Uh, they were getting out assisted. Um, they were getting uh, out. Uh, they were getting uh, out stolen. They were getting out blocked. And in the last 10 games, that reversed. Even though they only, even though their scoring only went up two points a game from 66 to 68, their defensive points allowed dropped by almost 10, down to 64. Um, shooting percentage went up only a little bit, but the opponent's field goal percentage went down five percentage points from 45 to 40. That's a big, that's a big drop off when you really think about you know team field goal percentages over time, which tends to average out. Uh, Three-point percentage went up four percentage points for UCF. The assists went up by three. Uh, opponents' assists went down. Steals went up by one. Opponent steals went down by three. That tells me that you have a really experienced ball handler, right? Taking good care of the basketball, which is what Perry really did. And even blocks for UCF went up where the opponent's blocks went down. So that tells me that you've got somebody who's getting, who's, first of all, giving his uh, teammates good looks underneath the basket and number two um, that defensive presence is allowing your big guys to cause havoc underneath and then I think really the most important thing turnovers went down from 15 to 11 and that was to me that Dar Darius Perry's fingerprints are all over those numbers in the last 10 games compared to the first 13 he's the one who I'm really excited to see um coming back and being that senior leader on the point. And if you look at Perry's numbers, that he was a team leader in scoring. You know, you look at, at his per game numbers, he only had three games all year where he scored less than 10 points. And two of those were the first two games he played. So obviously, you know, second game he played again, you know, of the year he played against Cincinnati, went one for 11 from the field, just, you know, had a 
a real worst day that he's had uh, all season. He's found, he took a while. He found himself and he grew into the role as a leader. You bring back Tony Johnson and, you know, now you've got two guards. That, that was one of the problems that, that Johnny Dawkins had is he had no depth anywhere. So that's why he started playing positionless basketball. Uh, I think they'll start there, to kind of. There was a point. Sorry to interrupt. There was a point okay. where when Darius was hurt, Dre Fuller was playing the point because oh, yeah. Tony got hurt. I mean, that was, I mean, God bless Dre for trying that. <laughs> he it, had it, to add a necessity, but that's not his. It didn't. That's work. not his natural position. <laughs> no, not not at all. Uh, you know, just just bringing back that depth, you can actually start having a more traditional team, and, and I think that'll benefit them. You know, going into the season, you know, UCF had arguably the toughest non-conference schedule in the country last year. And this year is going to be difficult. Johnny Dawkins has been hamming up the schedule playing Oklahoma, Miami, Florida state, Michigan. Uh, you know, you're, we're talking, you know, some legit programs here out of conference to really get things going. And I think those games are really going to help get tighten this team up going into conference play. Uh, they're, they're a legit threat in the American. Yeah. By the way, the guy you were mentioning earlier was, Shake Mbaka Jong. Is that how you pronounce the, it? Uh, I'm fairly certain that's how you pronounce it. I know that I should be a lot more, more well-versed in this than I am. But uh, Shake Mbaka Jong, uh, he's from uh, UNLV, 6'11", 235. Um, super seniors, 21 points, 7 points, 6.2 rebounds. We him three-year starter, 115 games in his career at that's UNLV. That's a center so you this need. Is a, yeah, this is this is a guy who's experienced and and to be honest with you, it's not I didn't think it was because the center position was all that thin, because I thought Jamil Reynolds really played himself um into uh into uh, into the rotation toward the end of last year. And he did. He started he ended up starting quite a few games towards the end of the season as he got used to the conditioning that that he again he really didn't have in the summer. He's gonna be a serious problem and he's for young. teams down low. Yeah, he is young. Um, but let, let's talk about, we talked about Isaiah. I want to really spend some time here on CJ uh, coming back because we know about the talent out of Sanford, Oak Ridge kid. Um, Block machine. Yes, just a defense, just a, a, a force of nature defensively. He's probably, no, he's not probably, he's definitely the best rebounder I've ever seen wear a UCF uniform. And I think that the one thing that he was a little tentative on, believe it or not, was scoring offensively last year. You know, his his offensive numbers weren't spectacular. Um, seven points, five rebounds, 1.7 blocks per game. But you saw like the flashes of the athleticism, um, the speed as he would cut to the hole. Uh, and if he can get that, if if the team is able to spend that time together that we normally see during the off season, working on things, once he, I think he settled in for, because he was a fairly late transfer. I think that he really defense and rebounding is the one thing that kind of translates always. Offensively, I think it was it was really tough for him to find a rhythm throughout the season. He started too late in the year. Well, he's raw. Uh, yeah, that that was what that but, was my but, take on. He's got yeah. he's energy out the wazoo, but he's raw. And he needed he needs seasoning. Best, but this season I think he's going to get that seasoning and having I, Darius I so back. Too. I think Darius was really key to having him in there because um, 
because it was so critically important for him to get a rhythm offensively that CJ was finally able to get. So this is going to be re- looking really good. Really quick, before we um, take a quick break, um, your prediction for the starting five this year, because suddenly this Luke Sarris tweeted this earlier, this team is loaded. I, I mean, you could have Darren Green coming off the bench as your seventh guy, um, theoretically. So if you're... Uh, now I know Johnny would probably Johnny Dawkins would probably like, hey, look, I'll I'll run a different starting lineup out there depending upon you know whatever I feel like, but uh, or whatever matchup I have. But what would be your starting five if you were Johnny Dawkins right now? Uh, well, you got to put Darius Perry at the point. Uh, that goes without saying. Uh, then you you've got um, Brandon Mahan at, at the two. You got Isaiah Adams at the three, CJ Walker at the four, and and Jong at, at center. Uh, that would be my starting five. And and you're right, there's there's plenty of depth that you can interchange some of these guys. You know, Tony Johnson can step in. Uh, you know, uh, Jamil Reynolds can can step in. Don't forget that young point guard that they also picked up in recruiting, Darius Johnson too, who's been getting a lot of who's been getting a lot of play of late. Yeah, and and you know I don't want to put pressure on a freshman if it's not if it's not necessary. And, and this team, especially because of that extra year of eligibility, doesn't have to put too much of a load on a, on a freshman. They can ease them in. So I, w- I wouldn't expect them from a starting standpoint, but uh, definitely definitely within that that you know potential eighth man, ninth man. I would want to put Jong at the five, Walker at the four, Adams at the three. I would, and depending upon the the matchup, I would flip Mayhan and Green and start Darius Perry at the point, and I would probably lean towards Green starting at the two because of his shooting ability. But again, that depends on the uh, that depends on the matchup. Like if you have a team that's um, that's really good at de- if you're playing a team that's really good at defending the three, then I would put Brandon Mayhan in because he can create his own shot. On the other side, if I have a team that's got, if I'm playing a team that has a really strong, um, a really strong interior defense, I'm going to want to stretch them out a little bit more. So then I would put Darren Green here. This is a nice problem to have if you're Johnny <laughs> Dawkins. Really, it is. So, um, so this would be a lot of fun. We'll see a lot of Jame- uh, uh, of Dre Fuller, Jameel, like you mentioned, Tony Johnson should be back healthy. That'll be a real help to UCF's depth. Um, John Rothstein, as we wrap up this segment, is going to be. Uh, he he said. Upon the return, he was the first one to report the return of C.J. Walker. Um, he said UCF is the sleeper team in the American Athletic Conference. Do you agree, Drew? Absolutely. Uh, you know, they they struggled last year, you know, from you know, a, a, injuries and, and COVID and lack of cohesion and all this other stuff. Uh, they they fixed the glitch. And this team, is, is, they're going to be solid. They've had a whole year working together. There's chemistry. You saw it later in the year when things started to gel after that midseason collapse. Uh, be excited. Uh, they need our support. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I, I, I'm re- all of a sudden here we are. We're what 53 days from football, and I'm already like I can't wait for basketball season. This is going to be good. I it's you know last what before you know two full academic years prior to this one. Every UCF team sport had a winning record. And it wasn't in this past year was where it finally derailed. So mm-hmm. they, they got to make up for lost time. They're yeah. going to play hungry. Let's throw, let's throw this year out because of COVID. Just throw it out. All right. When we it's come back. Punt. Yes. When we come back, Eric Lopez is going to join us. We're going to have 
our uh, uh, questions from you, the fans. Sent them over to us on Twitter. I got some really good ones uh, that we're going to ask Eric and Drew uh, when we return here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Darren, Andrew Glukoff, and joining us now after breaking some hot and heavy softball news is Eric Lopez. To uh, we've got I put the APB out, fellas, for some uh, uh, for some audience questions, and we got a bunch of them on Twitter, and, and uh, some of these are pretty good. So um, I would like to try again. I would like to try and make this kind of a regular thing. So, folks, if you're listening, send us some questions to UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Our DMs are open there. You can also hit us up individually. Jeff underscore Sharon, Stat Boy Drew, Eric Lopez, Elo. Uh, I want to start with, uh, hmm. all right, Eric, let's start with a rowing question. What do you think about this? All right. All right. This is from Corey Esquinazzi. All right. And Corey sent us a bunch of questions. So apologies to everybody else. He sent us like five and they're all good. So we're going to, so we're going to answer every single one of them. After a quote down year, end quote, can UCF rowing start a new streak of conference titles? First of all, this is like the historic first in the history of all UCF podcasts. Leading with rowing, rowing questions. Uh, this is wow. This is uh, listen. This is why we do this. This is why we cover all these sports because people care about all these. No, they do. No, they do. You're right. Uh, and and we look, care. That's why we care about it. It. Uh, yeah, they can continue. I mean, look, the league has gotten better. I think Becky Kramer would be the first to tell you that. I SMU mean, got better. That's for sure. They ranked 12th in the country. Um, and so, yeah, I think they can bounce back, but it won't be easy. Teams are catching up. They're the, been the top team. Teams are making up. Now, if this was a normal year, uh, or, well, no, if, if the rules would have been followed, uh, UCF would have still been in the NCAA tournament, but the Ivy League got some special treatment because they're like the SEC of rowing, which is hard to, sounds weird. So they got some waivers, even though they agreed they weren't going to play any sports this year because had, it wouldn't be no, healthy. They, were, they, they went to zero regattas prior to the NCAAs. Right. Zero. Yeah. And somehow they got in. So anyway, so, and then, so for people you that thought think, football oh, was rigged, let me tell you. <laughs> UCF yeah, suffered wait. from the rowing version of the yeah. Montreal screw for, job. How about we, <laughs> yes, let's stop focusing on expanding the football playoff to 12 where the same teams are going to win anyway. Let's expand the rowing championships, all right? Don't where you probably dare. The same teams will win. Yeah. Same teams give, me will those, win. give me my 12 teams. Uh, Drew, we, we kind of already answered this, but uh, does the return of key UCF men's basketball players make UCF a legit threat to take the American this year? Oh, They do. And, you know, with the... I don't want to say issues, but with with, uh, with Penny Hardaway toying with the idea of leaving Memphis, it, it starts to show a little bit of an opening. Cincinnati has absolutely has cratered. You know, South Florida, who you know, create uh, to say they crater was an understatement. Uh, there, that was mass exodus to to no no prediction could have figured out how bad that was. Thanks to our old pal Tom Harrion. You know, heart attack man himself, uh, you know, with these teams kind of question marks around them or just flat out, you know, huh, uh, it, it's right for the taking. You know, uh, Houston is still a legit program and UCF is going to have to play them out of their their freaking minds to to take them down. But this this is a team that's had a year to put things together. They they suffer through some bad luck and injuries covid and being young and just not having a chance to to gel all those problems have been fixed now you add a center 
who actually can who can play and, and you have a legit starting five that can go toe to toe with most programs uh they definitely are a threat uh, i think coming in number two maybe number three is a very realistic possibility lopez Ooh. you were shaking your head yeah can we just play healthy for a handful of games first before we give I them mean, the championship obviously, i mean like all that no that's a big no that's a legitimate question we can't dot this program has had a history of injuries and i think every, every program goes through that though that that you can't expect injuries you can't predict that i mean you have to assume no that but you don't expect to say, get it you, you could say that they ha- they've had bad injury i mean we talk we hear guys talk about injury luck right yeah ucf doesn't they've have had, any they've had bad injury luck eventually and you get is, good injury not, luck right but this is not just recent this goes back to the year before they made the NCAA, where we find out right in the eve of the start of the season that Aubrey Dawkins is out for the year because he injured his shoulder. And then that year, Taco and BJ don't even play together for more than a game. Uh, this team, I mean, they had injuries, like whatever you want to call it. We don't know if this team can fit together as a group. Like, it looks good on paper, but can they play well together? We don't know. They haven't played together for a long period of time. They've had, you know, moments but I'm not going to say they're going to win the league. I think they're at best, at best, fourth best team in the league. I here's why, and that's if everything what, goes well. Here's where I think you've missed the boat. This team has played together. Okay, and not, remember Taco, Taco, Aubrey, and and BJ never played together until that one year. Yeah, we've seen CJ Walker, Isaiah Adams, and Darius Perry all play together. At times, sporadically. No, no, not sporadically. They played together the entire year. No, 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 no. Walker has missed time. Perry had missed time. Walker missed, missed only time. a little. Only missed a few games. Perry, the last ten games. Eric, they all they played together the last ten games. Yeah, and they got smoked. Or nine by of the Memphis. last ten. Nine they of the last seven. And they got smoked. They by were Memphis. seven and three in their last ten, and they got smoked by Memphis at Memphis. Correct. Which last I checked, Memphis is not leaving Memphis. So right. I'm but, I, Memphis, I, but I'm I don't have as much faith in Memphis as you do, partly due to what Drew said, because Penny really did flirt with that Orlando Magic job, and that's that's going to have a very real effect, I think, on not just his current roster, but obviously recruiting. Well, maybe um, down the, the road, maybe now. But, yeah. Now Houston and Wichita to me are still the top two threats in the league, and I and I know everyone's like, well, yeah, Wichita, I agree. There's still something. I I, Wichita is really built trying to build that program back really quickly. Obviously, we talk. We know about Houston and them making the Final Four. That said, I think that if you're UCF, I think I I, I hate again. I, expectations. It's hard to say. I think they would love that. Their sort of in-house goal would be get that first round by in the American tournament. I think that's kind of where where they top where they four, think that if all things go top, top four. four. You said no higher than four. Yeah, I don't I think, think they're better than Houston. I don't think they're better. I don't think they're better than Memphis. I'm sorry. I mean, you could say all that about Memphis, but Memphis still – until I, they beat I think Memphis. It could be, I think it could be a race a, between Memphis, them and Wichita for that third spot. I They got to prove it on the court. And by the way, we're not even talking SMU, who I think could be in that mix as well. I, this team still has a lot of questions. I do. I still have questions about do they have enough size? Do they have enough shooting? I'm not, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm going to be very cautious. Let's just put them all in a bubble wrap. First of all, in a bubble, and make sure they don't get hurt getting off the, getting out of the car, getting out of the arena. Can we get some sponsorships to where they can stay safe and we don't need any injury, freak injuries? No, I'm serious because 
I, I Co- they have college, to- college hunks hauling junk. I bet you they got some surplus bubble wrap they can probably. <laughs> I'm not just gonna move on. Orlando um, Health or Jewett Orthopedics. Come on, there's hey, a- there you well, go. Thank well, you. Well, Remember, Orlando Health right bought out Jewett Orthopedic. Don't forget that. So, there all right. Um, uh, let's. All right. So let's. Uh, I want to move over to. Okay. Here's another. Here's a. By the way, we haven't. We, we dismissed Tulsa too, which also will probably be. I mean, the league is. Yeah, we very balanced. Tulsa. It's very balanced, and health. A lucky bouncer too could be the difference between a top four team and a top eight team in the league. Here's a softball question for you, Eric. With Aaliyah oh, White gone, yeah. who steps into the role of ace for UCF softball? This is an easy one, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be Gianna Mancha, more than likely. Uh, she's the veteran coming back, the ace coming back. Obviously, she was all uh, all-conference performer, threw a no-hitter last year. I think she will assume the number one uh, starting pitching spot uh, going into the season. I think that's – yeah, I, I think that's the safest bet, but – you know who's going to be behind her? I think is going to be the bigger question there. Uh, obviously, was obviously was announced recently. Brianna Vasquez has moved on. She's transferring to Iowa. Not a real surprise if you look at it. Brianna Vasquez was recruited by Renee Coach Renee Lourdes Gillespie, who's the head coach at Iowa. I think anybody, you know, she struggled in this past year, and I think this is one of those things where hey, I just want to do something different. Which, by the way, there's over a thousand kids on the transfer portal in softball. And I believe softball there's softball alone a thousand students yeah. in the transfer port. Wow. And that I think there's more in baseball. So welcome to free agency, everybody. It's here. Uh <laughs> so now UCF picked up a free agent of their own in, in transferring Kama Woodall, who was the ace at East Carolina. She's a senior from Spring Hill, Florida. I think the question there is she has good stuff. She just needs a little bit more movement in her pitches. I think that's something that Coach Bear will work on. But then so I would say that Woodall going into the fall will be the number two behind Mancha. Then you've got Grace Jewell and Angelina DeVoe, who are the two youngsters, that the two freshmen that got some time last year. Does Grace Jewell take that next step? You also have a young freshman that I'm interested in seeing, Caitlin Felton, true freshman coming in out of Verico, Florida. I've heard good things about her, throws hard. You know, can she be the next great one long term? That's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to having fall ball back, both in baseball and softball, because those are going to be the things I'm going to be looking at is does a Caitlin Felton kind of, you know, is she ready to make an immediate impact like previous freshmen? That's how Aaliyah White did in the freshman year. Can she be that type or close to that and help a mancha? in a you know Woodall and then Jewel and company. So they have enough arms. It's just a question of does Woodall take that improve in some of her pitches? And then those youngsters, Jewel, DeVoe, and then Felt, does any any of those three or most of those three take that next step to contribute to it? I don't think one person will replace Aaliyah White. Sports Bliss with Rob and Chris, one of our uh, podcasting compatriots out there, asked, do you think this will be the best football recruiting class in school history, or will it fall short due to trying to get transfers that don't count in the recruiting class. That question is such a bait question. I'm not going to even bother answering it. Drew! Do you have anything to say on that? <laughs> That's bait. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm I'm not taking the bait check, on that one. Check back in three years. Yes. Well, anyone who knows, anyone who's, who follows me on Twitter knows exactly how I feel about recruiting rankings. Yeah, I mean, we know UCF's had four-star guys come in. Uh, I believe Chad Masco was a four-star, and he – Really didn't pan out. I mean, it, stars. He's a are very stupid. good ball player. He wasn't. He wasn't an NFL level guy. No, no. I mean, I, he had injuries and other stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, 
tomorrow's uh you know the the game that i was working on as far as uh, the throwback classic has him in there and i got to watch him play a little bit and get hurt yeah that was a bummer uh, i mean recruiting re- recruiting rankings uh are nice there's something to talk about but you know Blake Bortles was, you know, barely recruited. Richie Grant's a two-star. Kevin Smith was barely recruited. I, you, you take. Kenzie you know, Milton was a three-star kind yeah, of afterthought. You can't yeah. really, you can't really bank on the star system because then you have like what was his name, Blink Barnett, who ended up at USF, and he was a five-star, and he was a dud. Uh, it just, you know, stars are are very subjective. And you can't really live and die by them. You know, it really comes down to the program and how you develop. Yeah. All right. Moving on from that one before I start getting angry. I want, um, I want to see Jeff get angry. <laughs> well, uh, I got class some, ever. We're going undefeated. I got some. Uh, uh, here, okay. Here's a really interesting question from Corey Esquinazzi. Um, which UCF team is the furthest away from competing for a national title. Now, I, I, I kind of view this question of, it's it's not a question of which program is in dire straits. I think it's more a question that's about, like, is the, is the talent stratification in that particular sport such that it will be extremely difficult for UCF to compete for a national title? Which, which sport do you guys think? Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, I, well, I so wait, I so, so the... <laughs> The, the question is the which, hardest. Which UCF team is the furthest away from competing for a national championship? Uh, I'm going to go with go first. Yeah, I'm going to go with baseball. Uh, I, I think baseball just you know just seems to be the the least constructed uh, of, of the programs, as well as the fact that um, it's you know there's so many traditional powers in that in that sport that it's hard to crack through, you know, you, you've got, you talk about blue bloods, baseball, blue bloods or something else. And I I just don't see them, you know, breaking through that anytime soon. I mean, how many super regionals has UCF baseball been to zero? Exactly. Uh, I I just don't see it. I'm going to disagree with you on the baseball one, because we've seen teams in a similar situation as UCF, all of a sudden get hot at the right time and go far. I'm talking about Coastal Carolina winning the College World Series a couple years ago. I'm talking about Fresno State when they beat Georgia, um, when Georgia was the best team in the country a few years ago, and they barely snuck into the tournament, then all of a sudden got hot. Um, I think it's certainly, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's, it's likely. I'm saying there's always a possibility just due to the structure of the sport of baseball that it can happen. Eric, what's your nomination? Well, what was your pick then? Uh, I'm going to reveal mine last. <laughs> he didn't give one. I know, right? Isn't that, right? Not uh, yet. So I think it's a – I love these questions. It is fascinating. Like, baseball is kind of a crapshoot. You could easily get on a run. We've seen teams do that. Uh, I think I, – can I pick two? Because I think it's two. Sure. One will be very controversial. That's going to get a lot of people mad. The other one I, – I think it's women's basketball. And it's not a knock on what Abe is doing and UCF women's basketball is doing. It's more on women's basketball as a whole. The gap – between the top five teams that are usually there competing for the national title and the teams that are top 25 is huge. And I think we saw that up close with UCF and Connecticut as an example. There's a gap, big gap. Um, 
And I think that gap ain't slowing down anytime soon, no matter how good. And I think UCF's taking big steps. I think they're on the borderline top 25 program. I really do. But they're not – nobody is. There's a huge gap in women's basketball. You can pretty much figure out who the top seven, top eight teams are every year. And that there's be, a – yeah, you and know. there's a drop from like seven, eight like down we're talking, to nine. Yeah. yeah, like we're talking a Good twenty point, point margin. Uh, so I, I think women's basketball, just because of the of the structure of the sport, uh, and then the other one. I know this is going to tick people off, but it's football. It's football because number one, clearly the majority of the audience here does not like the current system. So right off the bat, you don't believe you have a chance anyway. Okay, cool. What about uh, post twelve teams? I think it's harder. It's just still going to be hard. You're, UCF's not going to get a buy, okay? Unless there's criteria. Hey, you're okay? talking seventeen I, game season, right? Correct. There. That's yes. that's an NFL season. Yes, and teams like UCF and they can recruit as great as they want. They're not going to have the depth of the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio States. This sport has always been dominated as well. This is a misconception that college football fans have. There's this there's this perception that there's parity in the sport. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. Ohio State, as long as they have the right coach, will always win the Big Ten. I don't care who Michigan has. I don't care who Penn State has. That is the that, that conference, in fact, should change their name. In fact, the division should not even be East or West. It should be the Woody Hayes division, and it should be the Ryan Day division because it's all Ohio State. Same thing in the SEC. As long as Alabama has the right coach, they own the SEC. Oklahoma owns the Big 12. The only conference really right now that is really has parity is the Pac-12. And, and parity well, bad. Parity bad because USC is down. You get to the 12-team playoff, those teams, the Clemson owns the ACC right now. Florida State before that. You go to 12, those teams are always going to be in the mix. It's actually easier for them now. And they're likely going to get the bye because they're going to get higher seeds, whereas a UCF, and I'm going to give you, Drew, credit because you've been on top of this. There's no, even if you, okay, so the big hoopla is, well, the G5's got a guaranteed spot. Cool. Do we know where they're going to get seeded? Do you think they're going to get seated fairly? Because you don't believe they're getting seated fairly now. Why do you think they're going to change all of a sudden? I think UCF is going to have – they're never going to get a top four seed. I don't care what they do. They're not going to get a top four seed. And they're going to have to win four games. And that's just not going to happen in college football. Three of them I on do, the road. Yeah, three on the road potentially. Uh, at bet now, could they get host a game you know, in an 8-9 situation? Maybe. Oh, yeah. But then they got to play somebody that's probably had a buy, that's that's probably has more depth and more talent from a bigger brand. I actually think it's a lot harder now. I actually think eight would have helped UCF. Eight helps UCF because then you only got to win three games and there's no bye weeks. So now you're playing everybody in an even playing field. Instead, you're potentially going to be playing a Clemson at Ohio State or whatever with them coming off a bye, and if they go on camp, if they decide to just get rid of the bowls and the neutral sites, who knows if they will. Now you got to go to their place, and that actually hurts UCF as well. If I'm UCF, I actually rather keep the neutral sites. I have a better chance of upsetting an Alabama or a Clemson or an Ohio State in a neutral field than I do at their backyard. Well, also think of this. Uh, I would rather play in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium versus yes. playing in wintertime 
at Ohio Stadium. I mean, yes. Yeah. Yes. The the shoe in winter. Forget about it. Uh, no. Uh, Eric, I, I think though the women's basketball is spot on. That was the other yeah. team I was kind of juggling with with between baseball and and women's basketball. But uh, I'm glad I said baseball because it opened the door for you to really. No, really I think women's. And again, I don't. And it's not a knock. And it's not a knock on UCF football. And I think Gus and I think they're going to do great things. But it's I do the system. think that it's the system. And I think there's still a lot of questions. And Andrew, I'm going to give you credit because you've asked a lot of these that, quite frankly, a lot of the college football media has not asked because they're too dumb. They're, they have to, they're too busy having a you know have their they nose don't up. Care. They don't. Yeah, they're just snotty. They're snotty. They're not bright. Uh, but there's a lot of legitimate questions still to be asked about this 12 team playoff. Where are these games going to get played? Why should the top you know? And who? How What's much money, by the way, is a G5 going to get? Because we just assume, okay, you're going to get this free spot. What's the catch? Yeah, oh, here's the, the payout going to be. Is the payout going to be, hey, guys, you're, you're guaranteed spot, but guess what? You're probably going to just make the same money that you did in the previous stat, in the previous TV deal, or maybe you'll just make less of the pie where we get more money. How do you feel? Oh, that's right. You got no choice. We don't know. There's a lot of questions still. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a reason why they can't even go to the next phase until September because a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're not even going to get to the financials until later on. That's why the idea of 2023 was was absolutely absurd. No chance. Uh, this this is going to go all the way to the end of the contract and the figure out how to do this because it took years. Well, there's a lot of contracts. Lawyers are going to step in here. Oh, yeah. Like you don't just get rid of bold contracts, and especially that one in Pasadena that kind of carries its weight. Oh yeah, and who doesn't want to bend on, yeah. on certain things? Yeah, and basically the. What I what I've read is either they're gonna have to play ball or they're getting left behind. Yeah, leave them behind. Let him be. Well, they have. Yeah. They, you know how many people have said that for years and it doesn't happen. Like this year's playoff is gonna be on New Year's Eve because the Rose Bowl refuses to move out of January first. So it's easy to say, well, yeah. let him be. That hasn't happened. Leave him behind. You can't. But um, once you have a twelve game system, you can't just you know you can't just keep catering to them it's just not gonna work. you wouldn't think you wouldn't think but they've catered him to this point i gotta see them tell them you're done because it hasn't happened yet it hasn't and, happened and one yet. other thing after tcu played in the rose bowl when they were still a member of the mountain west the rose bowl yep. came out and said a g5 school will never play in our bowl again well yeah. guess what if you want to play in this a G5 may end up in your game again. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. A lot of questions. A lot of questions. All right. We'll get to more football questions in a second. I got my sport. Eric, I was going to say exactly what you said, women's basketball. Yeah. Because the gap Say between, something different now. Well, I think – Well, I think I think it's – it's. I think it's, a, it's the one sport that's similar to that where you have a concentration of talent at the very top in terms of the top – four, five, six teams, and then it filters down below that. It's not quite the same as basketball, but volleyball. Volleyball, yeah, I think yeah, you go, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think you once you get down to about, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, that top 10, that top 10 teams, right? You're talking most of the Pac-10, most of the big, the top, the top tier of the Big 10, the top tier of the Big 12. And then there's that pretty precipitous drop off, even amongst the power conferences. Um, we only just saw the SEC win a volleyball championship this year for the first time yeah. in the conference's history. So if, if we're about if we're about ten to fifteen schools, and then there's that big drop off, and it's really and the reason why is because there are only so many 
six foot four women out there no, who right. can be outside right. hitters and are that athletic, right? Yep. Usually at this level, you're going to be a middle blocker. You could be an outside hitter. But these teams, like we saw what, you know, when you see the Stanfords, um, the Floridas of the world, you know, and give give credit to Florida. They've been very good under Mary Wise for a long time. Um, when you see all these guys, uh, all these all, all these teams, they are stacked with 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", and they got six or seven of them in the lineup. Like on regular rotation. No, that's fair. That's fair. And so, that's not a, and so that's hard. not a, and again, that's not a, not knock. a knock on UCF's program at all. T- no, no, not even close. Cause they, they can compete, but again, it, that's hard. It's hard. It just, and it, we've it, beaten those teams in the past before. Yeah. But you know, we've beaten USC. Okay. Yeah. We've beat, you know, we've, we've come very close to beating Florida. We've beaten Florida state, but you're right. It's hard. Especially in a normal but, year, you got the big yeah. 10 Texas. Look at, look yeah. at, look at Florida state. I mean, they're they're a power program in the ACC, but they're not they're not going to be they can they can't beat like two consecutive Pac twelve teams in a row. No. Mary Wise is a Hall of Fame volleyball type yeah. coach. They've had a tremendous they haven't won an national title. They haven't. Right. Um, so I agree. I think that's a good one. Uh, I think volleyball, women's bat. Let's put football aside because that's a whole system structure, you know, debate and all that. Just from I think volleyball, women's basketball is right. And you mentioned women's basketball. The gap, the reason the, the gap, the top teams have big, real, like you, we think UCF has a lot of tall players. No, no. <laughs> Watch Baylor's of the world and UConn. They yeah. just have tall players. We've go seen look it. At that. Go, look, go back and look at that NCAA final this past year. It yeah. was Kentucky and I forget who was playing, who, who they were playing. Texas in the volleyball Texas. one you're talking about? Yeah, Kentucky yeah, and yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah. High-level yeah. volleyball match yeah. between those two teams. They were out. It was an outstanding match, and you just look at the sheer size, and it's just it's just mind blowing. It is. It's it absolutely mind blowing, uh, especially when you see it in person. And I've seen it in person. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I agree. Uh, I disagree about baseball, Drew, only because if UCF like the best UCF baseball team I ever saw was 01. Justin Pope, Jason Arnold got screwed out of hosting. They should have hosted. They didn't host facilities wise, whatever. We're not going to get into. If they host, they go to a super regional that team. Not only do they Absolutely go to the supers, I think they go to the World Series and play Greg Lovelady in Miami for the national title because that team was built on Pope and Arnold, a one-two punch. They had to go to South Carolina. The problem in the regional is you need that third pitcher. UCF didn't have that. So they had to use Jason Arnold in that first game against Princeton. It caught up with them because South Carolina just had too much depth. If UCF wins that regional, they would have played Stanford, who ended up playing for the national title. They would have had Pope and Arnold lined up game one, game two, and a best of three. I would have taken my chances with those two guys. I think they would have gotten to the World Series, and we might have seen Miami and UCF play for the national title. You can do that. We've seen that in baseball. Coastal Carolinas won the national title five years ago. Fresno State beat a team that Jeff knows well. Georgia had a bunch of MLB yeah. talent. Uh, Gordon were, Beckham was the best player in the yeah. country that year. He had a yeah. long MLB career, Gordon Beckham. Right. I mean, you've had – so baseball, you can – it's a crapshoot once you get in. I mean, East Carolina's been knocking on the door. They've been right there in the Supers. Softball, UCF just lost to Florida State in a tight regional that was one win away from winning the national title this year. So they're not that far off. And I think soccer, men's soccer's in the Sweet 16s now. Women's soccer has yeah. been a team that's contended, been to the They've Elite been to Eight. The Elite Eight, yeah. So soccer, you can get in, especially men's soccer. It's a smaller field. Uh, not as many teams participate in it. I think tennis, You, I think if we would have had this question years ago, we would have said tennis, pre-Rotic era, right? But This is a different tennis program. It's yeah. a different deal. Tennis is in the mix, and golf has always been in the mix. I mean, yeah. they've and been that comes with being in Florida. 
Um, yeah, you know, and it also comes with being killer. invested in too, as uh, yeah. as Danny White yeah. did invest in tennis. And I think that was key. And oh, men, the facilities some, are fantastic. Right. Yeah. right. And men's basketball, if you get into the tournament, we've seen it, you can get hot and get to a Final Four like a VCU and stuff like that. So that's not uh, uh, crazy either, right. even though there's a gap, but not as big uh, because of the tournament. So I, I think that's a great question, but I think that's – I think volleyball, women's hoops, I tend to agree, uh, are those two. Football for different reasons, just for the structure and the uncertainty of what they have to go through, not to mention the fact – we don't even know what the criteria is for them to get in. They could go 11 and 1 in a year, miss out because a team, a, a directional school from the MAC goes undefeated and gets their spot. Hmm. Um, question from Ladarius. Yes, I took a shot at the MAC, by the way. Yes, yes that was a shot. Question from Ladarius Brown, old student of mine, uh, podcaster, uh, podcaster over on the Space Coast. Uh, says, How will UCF's offense look under Gus Malzahn? My feeling on this is it's going to look a lot more frosty. Then oh, you see what he did there, Drew. You see a lot more frosty than hypely with a little bit more power, uh, a, a little bit more. But I think you're going to see a lot more instead of the classic air raid and north south running game that we saw under hypo the last three years. It's going to be a lot more around the edges, try and you know, a, a, a little bit more misdirection that we're going to see. Frost didn't really do, he did a fair amount of misdirection, but I don't think we're gonna. He, he, I, I think that Gus is going to do. A lot more of it. Anthony Lenahan broke this down really well uh, in a in a piece for us that I'll put in the show notes, um, where like Gus will ha- Gus will run five or six different plays off of the same look formation pr- formation and pre snap motion, and it's so hard for a defense to just keep track of what everyone's doing. What do you, uh, what do you guys think, Drew? We'll go with you. Well, I he wrote the book on the no huddle offense, so part of that quite is- literally. Quite literally, he wrote the book. Uh, so part of it is he's he's going to keep the same people on the field so you don't have that stoppage for substitution. So that's why you're going to see six plays, five plays run from the same formation. You're going to see a lot of misdirection. It's going to be a much shorter field compared to what you saw during the Hypo or Frost era uh, where they, they liked going downfield. You're not going to see as much of that. And we saw that at the spring game where it was a lot more short and medium, which is where Ryan O'Keefe really stepped up and, and did an outstanding job, you know, as a, as a receiver and where Jalen Robinson struggled a bit uh, adjusting and he was pretty much non-existent. Uh, that's, I, I think we're going to see a lot more traditional from that standpoint, you know, UCF's personnel has changed a bit. They have a, a power back that they haven't had, since Taj McGowan was here in 2018, uh, they don't have a pure speed guy that they're going to have on the top end of the rotation. You know, I like Johnny Richardson, but he's going he's to end up being buried in the depth chart again with all the transfers that have come in. So you're going to see a lot more of a, I don't want to say vanilla, but you're going to see a lot more traditional offense compared to what you've seen since 2016. Eric, nobody is more excited about Gus Malzahn than you. I don't know about all that. I would say a lot of people are excited in general. I mean, hey, all- I've got receipts here from our group chats from back when Gus was hired here. I, well, I'm a big Gus fan. Look, in fairness, me and Drew did pick Gus Malzahn as the next coach like on our list, right? Out, right? I'd, I'd like to point out we did two articles. Yep. With And I made sure the cover picture of both of them was Gus Malzahn because the, the, <laughs> every ingredient was in place for him to be the guy. 
that late in the process, not requiring a buyout, no school gets ticked off or screwed over. I mean, everything screamed Gus Mills on. And lo and behold. All right. You know, a few things. I, I would say I'm with Drew. Uh, I think it's a tradition, more traditional offense, just going faster. If it if they if they have to go faster, I think they could also go slow if they have to. I think you'll see some variety. I don't think they're going to be stuck on one tempo like we've seen recently. I know the comparison, you know, but I, I right like I would you agree with that, Drew? I don't think this is like hypo was a one dimensional deal. If they didn't, they had to go fast, and if they didn't, they were in trouble. Well, uh, whereas I think Gus suffered for it too. Yes, so yes, they suffered yes. badly for it. Let, you that, live live by the nine route and die by the nine route. That's yeah, what that I mean, was. That, that 2019 defense was fantastic, but you wouldn't know about it because of how the offense played. Right. Uh, you know, I, I expect Gus Malzahn to be a lot more cognizant of the fact that his defense needs time. So yeah, you can go no huddle, have a shorter, you know, run a shorter offense. So instead of, you know, a three play drive, you can make it a seven, eight, nine play drive, tire that defense down, get the touchdown and give your defense plenty of time to rest and then do it all over again and just beat them into submission. Mm-hmm. Um, Southwest Georgia night, SWGA night, which incoming transfer do you think will have the biggest impact on the success of the football team in 2021? Andrew. Ooh, that's a good question. That's a really good question uh, because there's a lot of transfers to go around. Um, the, the guy I think will have the biggest impact is going to be big cat down on the defensive line. Uh, that's an area that that definitely has a need. Uh, definitely got hurt with players getting thrown off the team last year, and uh, definitely can use some uh, a shot in the arm next to Kalia Davis, who's going to be a beast from the depths of of the abyss. Uh, you put those two together, you're going to have a lot of disruption that's going to just make life easier for everybody else on the defensive field. Uh, as far as a second guy. Uh, it's, it's a toss up. You know, I, I think uh, Bowser from Northwestern gives, gives the offense a power back that they've sorely needed. Uh, but I don't know how much use he's actually going to get based on the nature of the offense. So I think big cats could be that number one guy. Eric. That's a really good. I actually, he stole my thunder on that defensive line is a big question. I have a lot of questions about the defense in general, which we'll get into. I, I think, you know, there's going to be some magic wands. that are going to have to happen for this defense to be good. Uh, but that could be one of them. You're going to have some new faces have to step up, and defensive line is one. And I think Drew makes a great point with Cat. Uh, you know, you got you always got to be good on the defensive front. When UCF's been good defensively, usually they get good play up front. Look at 17 and the great play they got up front. They don't get pushed around in this league. If you want to beat Cincinnati, and then some of the and moving forward, you got to be physical up front. You don't want to get pushed around. This team has been pushed around in particular last year. I think that Drew makes a great points. One guy I think I'm going to be keeping a close eye on, Mark Anthony Richards, the running back from from yep. Auburn, who is already familiar with how Gus runs things. Um, and, and it's and I initially I really didn't want to pick somebody who is a running back because the backfield is already so crowded as it is. But I think he's got such a leg up, you know, 6'1", 208. He's from Wellington um, and, and and has that has that ex, that two years of experience that he had uh, under uh, at Auburn. I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be really interesting to see in the backfield. Him and Brandon Johnson, the receiver out of, uh, who came over from Tennessee, son of Charles Johnson. Yeah. 
Shout out to Greg Lovelady, whose idol is Charles Johnson, the former Marlins catcher. I think he's he's going to be he has the potential to step into a really key role with Marlon Williams gone. I think it, it, like size wise, he really does match up nicely with with Marlon's uh, measurables. They're both uh, very stacked positions. Yes, wide receiver yeah. and running back. I mean, those, uh, running back more so than wide receiver is just absolutely stacked with talent. Two more questions. Uh, Balsamic Vin, I'm PaulJug42 on Twitter. We've seen him for quite a bit for a long time on this platform. What year does Gus Malzahn win his first conference title with UCF? Eric, we'll go with you first. Wow, man. Uh, I'm going to say 2022. 2022. I I think this year is going to be a tough year. Why is this year a tough year? Is is it is it because of the adjustment to the new system? Is it the schedule? What is it? Yes, yes, to all, <laughs> all of that. Okay, it's, it's adjustment to the ske- It's adjustment to the schemes. You look at the schedule. They got to go to Cincinnati. They got to go to SMU. They got to go to Navy. You know, it's funny. Me and Drew were talking in the late hours while Drew was getting pounded, crushed by Tropical Storm Elsa and doubted Sarasota surviving. Um, we were talking about <laughs> the let it go, Eric. I'm just saying they were off again. Um, they he missed we, the joke, Drew. Did you see that? He totally missed the joke. Anyway. I know, no, I, I got it. Um, he got I it. I know you did. So, but if you look at the <laughs> you look at the American this year, Cincinnati's probably going to be the favorites. They got Desmond Ritterbacks. SMU. People talk about you. Just asked about you know we were talking about the transfer impact. SMU's got some impact transfer guys, including at the quarterback position. Possibly Mordecai from Oklahoma, maybe starts. Who knows? Uh, so UCF's got to go to SMU in de- November. They got to go to Cincinnati. Got to go to Navy, which is still a tough place. I expect Navy to bounce back because they usually don't have two bad years in a row under that coaching staff. I think that's a big ask, and I do. Th- uh, you know, this might sound sacrilegious. Dylan Gabriel and Drew, you, we've talked about this on Night Shift. He's still got a lot of uh, things to prove. He does not have a good record against winning teams that have good, you know, in his two years as a starter. He's taking advantage of some weaker teams that don't play defense. There's still questions. Can you win? You know, he's lost to Cincinnati twice. I'm not saying it's his fault, but he has struggled at times. We've seen it. And now he's going to have a new system. Hopefully it helps him. I think it will. But I think there's still questions here. Well, uh, one of the things he has to shake off is, is he a system quarterback? Right. And, and that's why the biggest hit on him is Josh Heupel's system was, you know, was the air raid. It's just take it and chuck it deep and hope for the best. And, and that was wide receivers are, you know, our guys are faster than your guys. And that was really, it, it really had no nuance to it. So he has great downfield accuracy. I mean, some of the best that I've seen. Uh, his short to medium game needs work. And, and that's where, you know, Gus Malzahn's offense is going to be focused on this a short to medium. Uh, I personally think uh, Dylan Gabriel is gone after this year. Uh, I think he's going to move on and, and, and try to parlay a strong season into the NFL draft. And you're going to look at most likely the Mikey Keene uh, era starting next year. Cause I think he's going to be the guy, but you're absolutely right. He's got, you know, something to prove. He's he has struggled against teams that, in particularly, run a a a three five, and three three five, yeah, yeah, a three three five, and and crash the line like that. He's you know Tulsa's run it, you know Cincinnati's run it, 
Pitt has run it. And every time it's been run, he has struggled. And I don't know if that's from the scheme, just, you know, the coaching staff not being able to rise up against that scheme, or if it's just Gabriel's happy feet getting the best of him. But every time it happens, he, he has, he has struggled. So the recipe of taking down Dylan Gabriel is well known. He's going to have to prove that it's not his kryptonite. Josh Heupel was his kryptonite. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I think we should give Gabriel, Dylan Gabriel the benefit of the doubt until we actually see how everything runs out. I, I do think that the toughest part of the season, you mentioned adjusting to a new system, Eric. I don't think that's going to be as difficult as people think because Gus knows how to adapt a system to his players from being a former high school coach. I think he'll make the system you know, relatively easy to transition to uh, in that respect. Now, the question is whether or not the defenses will also be easy to adjust to the transition. I was going to say. That's the other thing. Now, I do. Th- however, I do think that the big issue is that schedule. Um and here's why. Your bye week is really early. It's in September. Okay? It's after the Louisville game, right? And before you start conference play against Navy. You start conference play at Navy. And like we said, we don't know what Navy team is going to show up. They were bad last year, but I don't know if they're going to be quite that bad this year. Um, yeah, you're home for East Carolina, but you're at Cincinnati on October the 16th. That's going to be a national, that's going to be a national TV game. And then you have it. This is the part that's underrated. You have a short week after the game in Cincinnati when you play Memphis. Yeah. It's a six-day week that week because you play them on a Friday night. Granted, it's at home, but still. Um, don't know what we're going to get from Temple. Tulane is going to be, I think, tougher this year. Um, they were tough last year, to be, to be honest with you, um, even though you get them at home. And then you're right, that November 13th game at SMU – um, Always is a problem. That they, yeah, they've never had. They, now they've won, but it's never been pretty. Yeah, it's it's never been easy. They've never. It's never. They, I, I always think about that that last game in 2013 when the field was frozen. Oh, remember so, that? That was an yep. ugly game. God, yeah. that game was horrendous. Yeah. It was like, what 17 to 10 or something like that. Yeah, it was a terrible game. Blake Bortles had two rushing touchdowns. Guys were literally not. skating on that field. Yeah, it skating was on that field. Game. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I never actually answered the question. <laughs> okay. But, but uh, I actually have to agree with Eric. My, my number was always going to be year two. Uh, the pieces just fall in place. You know, yeah, you lose some of those one-year transfers, but you start getting your people in place and you have a much more favorable schedule. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think the odds will be better in 2022, but I don't think that, I don't think their chances are non-zero this year. I think that oh, yeah. if they're able to pull it together, I think that that oh, Cincinnati yeah. game yeah. is going to be key. Uh, if they win that Cincinnati game, do you beat Desmond Ritter in Cincinnati? Look out. I, Look I, out. Of course there's a not, there's a non-zero chance. We're not saying that, that it's not going to, you know, they don't have a chance. We're just saying it's a better chance that it happens next year versus this year. Yeah. Right. You're more comfortable. Schedule will be favorable. Ritter will be gone. Who knows? Luke Fickle maybe he's gone by then too. That'd be nice. Um, if Dylan Gabriel comes back. Maybe. Uh, but I think it's, you know, look, I mean, they got, got to go on the road. And to win on the road, you got to play good defense. And I'm not convinced this team can play good defense unless Travis Williams could scheme it up and hide some things. Remember, this team was not a good defense at all 
and they lost a Jim Thorpe finalist who's going to be playing on Sundays. Well, well, I've I've got to I've got to kind of cut you down a little bit there. Part of the fact they weren't good is because they had no depth. You know, you lose yeah. five guys from getting thrown off the field. You lose four guys on your two deep before the season even starts because of COVID opt outs. I mean, there were just no horses. I mean, you're putting true freshmen in who have no business being on the field. That's not you know, the fact that the team was bad. That's just circumstantial. Some uh, of it, but I, how many of those guys were legitimately good? Will they improve? I mean, now again, with a new they're scheme, true, they could they're be true freshmen. You can't, you can't expect right. true fresh. I mean, that look at how Zach Wilson just carved up the UCF defense. I mean, well, that's different. The bowl game. Yeah. That was just, uh, they, you know, that, a, that was just, by the yeah, end of the yeah, season, yeah, it was yeah. a skeleton crew. I, right. I just, their attrition was bad this year. But that goes. But, but again, that's part of it is luck. You got to stay healthy. That's not going to change well, this fall. I, I mean, that part part guys. of it was also the lack of the off season program, though. Let's not forget that we talked about basketball earlier. Yeah. In case in football leading into that season, but five guys get, work. Yeah, but five guys getting thrown off the team. That's not bad luck. That's bad decisions. And you had true. outstanding luck. Over the, over the years since George O'Leary when it came to team discipline and not getting in trouble. Well, I, I think you're right. We're going to find out this year, at the end of this year, how much talent was this team? Because, you know, I think a lot of people felt like after 2016 and 17, it's like, wow, we had more talent than we thought in 2015. Is this a case where we find out later, you know what, this team just wasn't really that well coached. There was well much, we have talent. They just didn't play as well under that scheme. They play better on this scheme. Or they're going to continue to struggle, and then maybe we come to the realization that maybe some of these guys are not as good as we think. Well, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, but I'm looking forward to finding out. If you look at the defensive rankings from 2019, I mean, UCF's defense was actually pretty good. Uh, They were ranked 42nd in the country. Well, you look at that secondary, too, they had back then. Yeah, I mean, 2019 was was great. Right. So, I mean, you know, the the drop-off from 2019 to 2020, Tay Gowan opted out. You know, Khalil Davis opted out. Um, well, uh, Dawson opted out. I mean, yeah. Uh, it was, you've lost four guys on your two deep from 2019 who played, you know, who ha- were going to contribute and be a big part. Uh, you can't plan for that. And, and that, and, you know, that's nobody's fault. You know, everyone's got to make decisions that's best for them and best for their family. And we can't be mad about it, but we have to accept the fact that UCF had more opt-outs than any other team in the country. And it was by more than one. In fact, there was only one team in the whole country that had more than 10 opt-outs and it was UCF. It, was, it is what it is. I want to end this on a fun question. We're going to get it from Corey Eskenazi again. Um, <clears throat> what would be a perfect match sponsorship deal for a former night athlete, if they had current n- name, image, and likeness roles. By the way, this is on the heels of the entire UCF women's basketball team getting a deal with college hunks uh, hauling junk and storage, or hauling so is junk this and for moving. A team or an individual player? Uh, he's asking about an individual. What, which, what, what would be a perfect match sponsorship deal for a former night athlete if they had current name, image, and likeness roles? I got, I got one. It's going to be Kevin Smith in the Seminole Hard Rock Casino. Why? I mean, it's all gold, baby. God. Oh, man. Eric? <laughs> I don't know if that one would have been allowed, but anyway. It may not be. Okay, I have the, the golden diamond source as a backup. All right. Out of, in, in the Tampa area. Wow. Uh, see, now... Kevin, Kevin was a South Florida kid, though. I don't think he would have gone with the Tampa business. 
hey, if, if they're if they're showing some green, you know, it's possible he could have gone somewhere else. But is this know. any now? Is this any athlete in any sport? Or are we talking? I, well, let's yeah, let yeah, it, any any athlete in any sport. He well, the women's would, basketball thing is pretty clever because I know they're that's great. cool. Well, think about it. A lot of people are wondering, geez, is there going to be animosity in the locker room? Well, no. Nope. Not if everyone's part of the deal. And I wonder. a piece of the pie. And I do wonder if we'll see more of that. Like, that's I would like to see that. What's interesting interesting to me is that the players negotiated that on their own. Like, because UCF can't, by rule, UCF cannot promote, be involved in any sort of business deal like that. But they all did it on themselves. And, and, um, and Masani Kaba was kind of the ringleader of that, which I thought was really cool. So, um, but give me an athlete. You got to have something softball, Eric, right? Come on. I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think. Well, you'll give the answers. I really don't have an answer right now. Oh, I got one. I got one. All right. Stephanie Best from softball and DeBest, the carpet shop down in, down on off of 50. Because Stephanie was the best. Right? The ads write themselves. Wow. It's not bad. Um, yeah, I mean, no, Lance McDonald at McDonald's? I mean... <laughs> Lance McDonald. Oh, uh, how about this? God. Vic Penn. Because he could be sponsored by... Vic Pence? There you go. There you go. I like it. I there, like it. That's the one that jumps out to me right there. I would have, I would have had Mike Walker. He gets Johnny Walker. <laughs> I don't know if that would have worked if he was under 21. Um, the uh, former. Oh, hello. We're missing the obvious one here. Brandon Marshall back then. Marshalls. All right. I was thinking like the entire offensive line from the 2007 team that got Kevin Smith 2,500 rushing yards in one season for, like, a barbecue place, like Four Rivers, right? Uh, that's too easy. Bringing that's, home the bacon. I feel like that's that, stereotyping, too. That, that's too easy. I mean, you got the hogs Come on. From, from Washington. I, that That's so low-hanging fruit. It, it, that's, that's why it would have been perfect. It's the <laughs> perfect low-hanging fruit. Um, You got any other ones? I mean, you could do, like, like Super Pawn with any, you know, any player that wore those ugly gold jerseys because you know, <laughs> trade them in for some cash. No, no, you can't do that. Stop. You're going to get us in trouble. Um, the, uh, what about, what, what about Jermaine Taylor? Ooh, I'm thinking, Jermaine- oh, dude, like pick an air, OIA, about- Orlando International Airport, high flying Jermaine Taylor, right? Probably something like that. You could probably work something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's easy, right? Light one, ready for takeoff, baby. I like that one. Um, Or you can do, uh, isn't that there um, by uh, not far from Orlando Executive, that water sport place? You can put uh, like Michael Donald there for all the splash threes he had. Oh. Oh. We should ask MOD, like, what would have been the. We should ask Mike and, and Taylor what would have been their perfect NIL sponsors. <laughs> got to do that. We got to do that. That's that's going on the list. And 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 Will Becknowski will just be sponsored by Ashton Kutcher. 
Whatever Ashton Kutcher, yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, and we had we had one last one, but I'm not. But we actually got an answer for it before. Matthew Petty, friend of the show from uh, from WMFE, uh, the uh, editor and, uh, and and resident resident Kiwi, being from New Zealand, asks, "When is UCF going to get a, a a cricket team? We already have a club cricket team." And uh, I think that I think that they played in uh, the last they played was 2018. Matthew, there's an opportunity for you there, and you don't have to worry about do name, it. image, and likeness rules because it's club it's club sports anyway. All right, that's going to do it. Make sure you send us uh, your questions. If you, if you send us some more, we'll answer them right here on the show. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopezilo, Statboy Drew on Twitter. Um, let's do a quick preview, Drew. What do you got coming up on your uh, Throwback Classics, which are coming out Thursday? Oh, well, tomorrow's a, or on Thursday. It's uh, a controversial it's, one, I understand. Well, it's 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 not a win. It's actually a loss. It's, what? It's, it's the first loss I'm putting out there. Uh, and How dare you? How dare you? That is the most impactful loss in UCF football history. And it's the UCF versus well, it's Marshall not the game. Well, it's not the Texas game. I know that. <laughs> UCF Marshall, 2002. Yeah, 26-21. I remember that. That game was played on, first of all, that game was played on an odd night, wasn't it? It was a Friday night. I was at that game because I was in the marching band. You were in Huntington. Okay. I was in Huntington, and the atmosphere was so hostile, and the fans were so rabid. Uh, we thought people were going to jump down onto the field and attack. Uh <laughs> They actually had the, the the male members of the band on the outside walking into the field and the women on the inside just in case. Now, granted, nothing happened, but I think about it. You know, UCF being a young program, the, you know, the band, no was, different. Being a young there was program. a lot of there was I remember around here, there was a lot of hype heading into that game. It was our it, conference opener. It was the most uh, hyped game by ESPN in, in UCF history at that point. I mean, they hammed the living daylights out of it. They, they and, went to Minnesota. They went to Minneapolis, and they got Randy Moss and Dante Culpepper, who were both on the Vikings at the time, to oh, to, do, to do the to intro. do a, to do the little in, the little cold open intro to the game to the game telecast, which I thought was cool. Uh yeah, it you know it was it was cool how much they hyped up this this game in in the Mid American Conference. I mean, you don't yeah. think about it, uh, but you know. We we talked. We've always joked about you know the civil conflict UCF versus Connecticut. This was UCF's first manufactured rivalry. It was manufactured by ESPN, and it turned out to actually be a pretty good one. Uh, very you know, zero three to start. UCF has won nine straight uh, ever since they went to Conference USA. They have never lost to Marshall. You could throw the 2019 Gasparro Bowl in there as well. And that was back when the MAC had some talent. Well, part of why Marshall did so well in the MAC is they allowed partial qualifiers. You know, guys who couldn't get in other schools, they can get in those MAC schools, and that's where Marshall really excelled. Once they went to Conference USA, that was no longer allowed, and you've never seen them get even close to that level of success since. Yeah, think think about the talent that was around that league, that the around league at that time, not just at UCF. Oh, yeah, you know ben about Brandon Marshall, Ben Roethlisberger, Miami will have Byron Leftwich was being touted as a Heisman Trophy candidate that year. Mm-hmm. I remember very clearly. Uh, Doug Chapman, who Bucks fans remember, was around there. Not just uh, Michael Michael the Burner Turner at Northern Illinois, who I think led the country in rushing that one year. Michael um, the Burner Turner, I remember yeah. him. Uh, and then not only that, I mean the. 
Toledo that year was very good, and they really didn't have that many stars on that team, but they they came within an eyelash of winning the conference. That was when the Mac had talent. Yeah, and you know, it's, a lot of these guys flew under the radar. Uh, this is back when TV was not as readily available. You know, half of UCF's games weren't televised at all. At all, yes. Um, many of them lost to the uh, to the archives of time because they never were on television. You know, some of the greatest games that we've seen, like, you know, Akron getting curb stomped 57-17 the previous year when they wanted to give UCF a brass knuckles welcome to the Mac. Mm. Yeah, I was at that game, too. That was a lot of fun. Me, too. <laughs> Star running back, now, Alex Haynes, by the way. Haynes, sponsors. Huh? Oh, there you go. Uh, good one. Uh, if you really good want one. to. And if Haynes waits too long, Fruit of the Loom's going to come in and sweep him up. <laughs> oh, but think you know that 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 Akron game you know I don't got, I don't know if you guys remember it was 50 to 7 at halftime yeah. and then the second half kickoff was delayed by like 15 minutes I don't know if you guys remember that at all they yes. Akron couldn't find any kicking tees that's what happened really? <laughs> I know what happened yeah. to them all too yeah they just lost the kicking tees no um there was a certain member someone of the stole band them with sticky fingers and really good sticky fingers that managed to um liberate the kicking wow. tees. It wasn't me. I just know who it was. <laughs> Golly. That's amazing. Oh, God. You guys I, I, I know you have a lot more band stories about some of the some of the crazy stuff that you guys pulled off on the road. Um I with, mean with we opposing had, teams. We we swiping had a guy kicking tees, my God. We had a guy get on ESPN radio the very next year for trying to steal a flag at, at Ohio University. Everyone told him not to do it. Even the guy who stole the kicking tee says, no, nah, man, I'm not doing that. And he went and tried, did it, and he got taken away. Oh, it made national oh, radio. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, that's that's an excellent way to end it. By the way, uh, Travis Fisher was on that UCF team. Think of all the sponsorships he could have got with the last Justice name Fisher. Gordon's Fisherman. Huh? See, we, that, we weren't in we UCF, you know, back then they weren't in the conference, they were in the mag. They would have made a lot of money though. In, in so, so he joined Fisher Price and and teach kids how to learn and grow and and cover downfield routes. There you go. <laughs> Golly. All right. We're gonna get out of this show before I get into trouble here. Uh follow us at UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. Uh and of course uh, black and gold banneret. Com. We are SB Nation's home for UCF sports. Subscribe to this podcast uh, if you don't already via Apple Podcasts or if you are on an Android device via Spotify. Uh, if you don't subscribe to us, please do so. If you do subscribe to us, please uh, tell one of your UCF friends about us uh, as well. Make sure you leave a comment and subscribe or leave a comment and leave us a rating actually on your preferred po- podcast platform of choice and of course don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com that's going to do it for us here at Black and Gold Banneret for Drew and Eric I'm Jeff we'll catch you again next week